Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune via Zoom. Hi, guys. Hello. Andrew, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Feeling like the Rams are going to be coming to town in a big game against the Vikings in this NFC playoff picture. Uh, The Vikings are coming off a win, as Dalvin Cook liked to remind us today, that, hey, they won these last two games, regardless of how we are asking these questions about how the offense is playing. Um, But, guys, I think they're going to need more than 17 points against Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams with Sean McVay. So we'll get into all the things about Sunday's game. Um, We'll get into Mike Zimmer being asked about the hot seat. We'll get into Bashad Breland, which is where where I want to start. Um, chronologically here before they even played Monday night's game, they released a starting corner in Bashad Breland, whose tenure with Minnesota was full of ups and downs. Uh, ben reported a lot on Saturday about the final down, the one that seemed to kind of break out of the camel's back as it were. Ben, what happened with Bashad Breland? Why did he get let go? Well, I, it sounded like it had spilled out of a meeting and that had been resolved. But then on the practice, he, was on the field and was basically told to come off of it and took his cleats off and, and uh, basically I think said, I'm not going to go out and practice again. Or, you know, if I'm being asked to come off, I might as well take my cleats off and then got into it with players. Uh, I think was chirping at, at a number of players. It sounded like it started from, from what I was told by a couple of people with Alvin cook and then, uh, Sheldon Richardson got involved and then it eventually escalated to the point where Rick Spielman was standing nearby and had to step in and, and break the whole thing up. And then ended up talking to Breland after that. And the release was uh, not far beyond that. So when the general manager has to step in, in the middle of a practice before a game, you have to win in week 15, uh, it's not a great way to keep your job. And it was, the most recent thing, it, it, from what I was told, it started with a lot of trash talk, as, as Dalvin Cook kind of said today. It was football stuff. But that's been a, a common theme with Breland and practices this year. It sounds like he's he's typically on the field chirping quite a bit. So initially, players didn't think anything of it. And then it continued to escalate. And people said, okay, well, we've got to step in and try to shut this down. And then uh, things kind of went from there. So whether it's that or, you know, some of the things that he has – tweeted some of the on-field play uh, it just got to a point where they said even though we don't have a many very many corners enough is enough yeah and I he had been so unreliable on the field um yeah. I know he's, he had started 13 games but he kept having to get pulled off it for injury related reasons or illness or just mysteriously vomiting when the team says he's not sick mm-hmm. um just a bunch of different things and what I found interesting was Andre Patterson the co-defensive coordinator said today when asked about it uh, he made it sound like they weren't even going to rely on Breland to start against the Bears anyway. Now, who knows if this was revisionist history or what, but he said Cameron Dancer was getting most of the work with the starting lineup uh, that week in practice anyway. So when he was asked about having to shuffle things around, he said it wasn't that big of a deal because Breland had been dealing with some injury things, uh, whatever that means. Yeah, Breland, I don't believe, was even on the injury report. He so, was not. So who knows if Patterson's telling the truth, who knows? Uh, Breland was dealing with some off-field things that had had him not in that lineup because, Ben, you had just said this stemmed in Dalvin Cook, I should say, too, alluded to this. This stemmed from something in the meeting room where Bashad Breland was going at it with a coach. Uh, maybe the coaches had decided to bench him well before they they eventually cut him. So Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's not something you want to be in the midst of your practices when you are in a win every game or go home type scenario, basically the, as I put it in a game story on, on Tuesday morning, the sentence for what the Vikings did the first part of the season is that you will now spend the last four weeks fighting for your life. And that's not something that you can really tolerate very much when you're in that spot. No. And Breland was one of those guys that they signed to a one year deal. They did so with him late in June. Um, That would that would have been after, I, I believe, after – I'm trying to remember the impetus for them. Probably with Dancer getting hurt in the spring, I think, is when they brought Breland in eventually. They had obviously had him on the radar for a while. He was coming off that shoulder injury. They brought him in for a visit, and it was two weeks into their offseason program. They finally signed him. And just another failed uh, signing, really, by Rick Spielman and what has been trying to be a, a patchwork defense this year. 
that has dealt with some injuries, but the guys they brought in like a Breland certainly didn't pan out. And he might've, he might be the worst example of assigning this off season and then trying to rely on some, some veteran experience. Um, ben, I can't think of Mike. I can't think of any other worse example of their moves this off season than Bashad Breland. No, I mean the whole, his whole era just has to leave a bad taste in their mouth. It was just like a, you know, it was uh, it was a failure from the start. He just, you know, on the field, off the field, whatever it was, he just he didn't live up to any expectations you might have had if you wanted to have a reliable veteran corner to kind of supplement all this youth. Like, I guess technically he was that, but just from the from the jump, like he just, I think it was you know the very first week, wasn't he getting burned by the Bengals? Yeah, yeah. against Mar Chase, I think, right before halftime. Yeah, and then he. Uh did the corner thing where he, he might've been legitimately hurt on that play, but he had to be evaluated for injury after getting beat deep. Mike, it took me a minute to get the joke about uh, the bad taste in your mouth. Thank you for doing that. Very, very <laughs> subtle. Yeah. I, you know, you know, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> oh man. Well, <laughs> Well, Sean Breland and word mouth will get you. <laughs> the Vikings. The Vikings are hoping to get the bad Kirk, I should say, is probably hoping to get the bad taste out of his mouth after he was sacked. Um, a season high, a season low, I should say. I guess from the Vikings' perspective, four times against the Bears, many m- most of it in terms of the pressure coming from up the middle. Uh, up the middle is where now they're going to be facing Aaron Donald, whom the Vikings think, and a lot of people think is the NFL's best defensive tackle. Um, and it's not going to get any easier, much easier after that. Kenny Clark after that, Akeem Hicks again in the season finale. So this last month, that offensive line, that interior is really going to kind of get put up there and shown like, hey, if you want to compete against the best, here you go. To make the playoffs, you have to go through some of the hardest players at the position that you have not been able to stop for years. And so, Ben, with Aaron Donald now coming to town, um, where do you put the confidence level just at the O-line and, and their ability to find an answer for this guy? I wouldn't put it very high because there aren't a lot of people that have that answer for him. And it's not just him. It's, it's Leonard Floyd. It's Von Miller. You're going to have a lot of people on Sunday that are going to need help, which means you're going to have to have somebody win a one-on-one matchup without getting the extra help. I mean, you're not going to be able to stay in max protection the entire game and try to beat that secondary with just a couple of receivers out on pass routes either. You can't win with three-man routes the entire game. So you're going to have to have spots where you can count on people to stand up and make plays. And what Akeem Hicks did to them on Monday night, we've seen a lot over the last few years, whether it's been to Pat Elfline, to Garrett Bradbury. There have been a lot of interior Vikings linemen that have had trouble with Akeem Hicks. But to see Mason Cole get pushed back like that, to get physically just beat like he did is a concern because it had looked for a minute like they had found an answer there. That Mason Cole coming in was going to help solve some of those problems that they've had with Ole Udo. And then obviously Udo moving out to left tackle when Christian Darosaw was hurt, you figured, okay, that worked for the time being. But now that Darosaw is back, let's keep what we have going in the middle of the line. Maybe it was a one-game sample size. Maybe Cole would be better on Sunday. But if there were so many of those plays that looked the same in terms of just getting physically beat, phys- you know, overwhelmed in terms of strength, that don't leave you feeling like it's going to be a whole lot different against guys like Aaron Donald and then Kenny Clark and then Akeem Hicks one more time. It's it's a it's tough of a stretch of interior defensive linemen as you're going to get and they've had enough trouble with those guys that it's hard to think it's going to be a whole lot different in these games that they have to win. While the days are getting shorter, the nights are getting brighter at the Minnesota Zoo. Welcome to the second annual Nature Illuminated, presented by Wings Financial Credit Union. This narrated drive-through experience will immerse you in an enchanting world of brilliant, oversized displays of your favorite zoo creatures, all illuminated in fantastical layers of light. This one-of-a-kind experience is truly wild, only at the Minnesota Zoo. December 2nd through January 16th. Reserve your tickets at mnzoo.org. Yeah, the Vikings found a way to move the ball a few years ago, the last time they faced uh, Aaron Donald and the Rams in 2018 in that shootout on Thursday night. But 
And that was with guys like Tom Compton starting a guard. I believe Mike Remmers also started a guard that game among the long list. It's like a Browns quarterback list. If you go down the Vikings <laughs> list of starting guards since Mike Harris and Brandon Fusco, really, in 2015. Still trying to replace Joe Berger. <laughs> Still trying to replace Joe Berger. It is just a long list of guards that have failed. But Aaron Donald had a big impact at the end of that game that the Vikings lost uh, in Los Angeles, getting after the quarterback when Kirk needed to throw it. And that's just a situation you can't be in. And so we heard from over and over from Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, Mike Zimmer, the importance of just needing to run the ball against the Rams. Because if you get into an obvious passing situation, uh, it can be quite the nightmare. Mike, Mason Cole might not even start this game. He wasn't out there at practice today. We haven't gotten the injury report yet, but they did promote Dakota Dozier to the active roster, which would indicate they need an extra body on the interior line. So even if it's Ole Udo, it might not make a whole, whole lot of difference at right guard. It seems like it doesn't matter who they throw out there. This front office can cannot find answers for the best interior pass rushers in the NFL. This, uh, this three-game stretch might not be what I would want as the uh, last three games on my performance review if I was Rick Spielman, uh, the man responsible for drafting a lot of these players, acquiring a lot of these players. I mean, it's not to say that's, what will solely determine his fate, but that is one thing we've talked about consistently during his tenure that they have tried to address, but haven't really fixed um, to any kind of meaningful degree. I mean, it's been better in spots this year, but again, like we've talked about, like if it's, if it's not good enough when you need it against the better teams, and like you said, Aaron Donald's going to be good against pretty much everybody. So it's not like you expect to completely shut him out. But if, if you're just getting guys, routinely wrecking your offensive game plan because they're just physically pushing your guys back. That's a referendum, not only on, not only on those players, but on, you know, the, the coaches to a degree, but on the people, on the person, Rick Spielman, who put together that offensive line. Yeah. It was been trying to piecemeal this together in a third round pick and Wyatt Davis, whom can't even sniff the field. He can't even get on the field at all. Um, and, and this is for an offensive line that is just cycling through answers, benching their first round center, uh, really trying to find something that works. And we get to another December where we're talking about an interior line, defensive line, uh, that might re wreck a game, an important game for the Vikings offense uh, this late in the season. The last time they were over 500, so I hear, would have been last, uh, I think it was December 2019, was the last time they were over 500 this late in the year. And for them to try and do that against this defensive line, Ben said it, they got Von Miller, um, they also have Leonard Floyd, whom you might remember from his days in Chicago. He always had great games against the Vikings. Uh, he's got nine sacks. Donald's got 11 sacks. Um, and then they've got obviously one of the better offenses in the NFL. So 17 points from Kirk Cousins in that passing game. I just have a hard way of, of seeing how that's going to be able to cut it. Um, and it's just, it's one of the biggest referendums I think on, on Rick Spielman's tenure so far is their inability to figure out that interior line. Um, speaking of hot seats, we heard Mike Zimmer get asked about being on the hot seat. When he heard that word and heard his name in the same sentence, he stopped the reporter and said, who says I'm on the hot seat? And Mike, I ask you, who says Mike Zimmer's on the hot seat? Uh, pretty much everybody in America says he's on the hot seat. I mean, let's just be honest. And, you know, I think we, we, sometimes we dive into these subjects a little too, with a little too much zeal. Cause it's like, it's a it's a juicy kind of subject when a coach may or may not get fired or, you know, when a team is struggling and a guy's been here for eight years. And you know, we do have to remember this is, this is their livelihood. This is, you know, they're, they're paid well to do it, but you don't want to like take any particular glee in, you know, in the prospect of something like this happening. I think Mike Zimmer's done a pretty good job as the head coach of the Vikings. I think we've talked about it in the past. You know, we would probably grade him overall as, you know, has having done a, an okay to a, to an okay plus um, job here with the Vikings, but I don't think there's any denying. I mean, you, you, when you've been here this long, when the expectations are as high as they've been, when you've you know been given you know a, a roster that you know your ownership has spent a, a decent amount of money and gone out and got players and kept players, that there's an expectation of winning. And if you miss the playoffs for a second year in a row, for a third year out of four, um, that to me is getting to be the time where coaches do get fired. And it's not to say it's going to happen, not even to say it would automatically happen if they miss the playoffs, but he is definitely um, one of those coaches that's on the hot seat. Maybe, maybe he knows something we don't. Maybe he's gotten 
conversations with the Wilfs that's that tell him otherwise. I don't know, but the outside looking in, it sure looks like he's on the hot seat. Ben, who says he's on the hot seat? I mean, it, it's, it's an interesting spot because I get, I mean, and he brings us up a lot about how he's got the third best winning percentage in Vikings history. I think that's still true. Uh, I think he's still ahead of, I think it was probably Jerry Burns that he's ahead of. Um, but the resume is probably not as bulletproof as you would think it would have to be to say there's no reason to ask the question because you look at it, they've won the division twice in eight years. Um, they've been to playoffs three times at this point, could be four, but they're not going to win the division. And for all of, as Mike mentioned, all of the resources you have a new stadium in that time, you have a new practice facility, you have an ownership group that routinely spends above the cap to give them what they need to win. There is a message with that, that we expect you to compete for championships every year. And and the only time they've done that was 2017. And they've kind of been trying to get back to that point ever since. Haven't been able to do it. They've been in the playoff once since then, and maybe they get in here, but if they get in, it's going to be as a wild card where you're having to go through that road of playing away from home in all likelihood the entire way. And, it's it's not unreasonable for people to look at that and say, well, okay, um, is this going to lead ownership to want to make a change? And, and beyond that, you hear enough about just talking to people about the feeling around the team and the feeling around ownership that it's not unreasonable to think that there could be a change after this year. So I know he doesn't like the question. I know it's not a fun spot to be in if you're, thinking about something you put eight years of your time into, but um, it is part of the job and it's part of being in that spot. Yeah. Mike was asked directly about coaching in that spot. And he says, I have no thoughts. I have no thoughts on potentially being on the hot seat. If, if he were um, yeah, the longevity in this league does not, it's really hard to come by Mike Zimmer getting eight years and having two currently two playoff wins to show for it uh, is not the resume that, you know, a Sean Payton or any of these other longer tenured head coaches that are above him on that list typically get. Um, so we'll have to see how they play out in these, these last three games, obviously, but you have to wonder, I think Ben, you have to wonder if, if that lion's law sealed the deal it's short of like some kind of playoff run that nobody is seeing coming um, losing to the lions in December, even on the road to a winless Lions team. I, we said it then, but I don't know how, how you come back from that short of, you know, making another NFC title game. In the manner in which they did it. I mean, you, you have the game basically within one stop of winning it, and they couldn't make a stop. They let Jared Goff march down the field, basically the length of the field with no timeouts, and they give up a touchdown on the last play of the game, in part because the hand-picked corner and the safety they signed at free agency misplayed it. So um, it, that to, to lose that way and to have the, the thing that has been your calling card, the defense, be the thing that couldn't make the stop when it had the opportunity to do it. Yeah, the optics of that are not very good. Go ahead, Mike. I was going to say that the only thing I think that is in his favor to a certain degree, um, you know, aside from the, the overall record being pretty good, is that, um, you know, both these last two years when they've kind of dealt with a lot of different stuff, had a lot of things thrown at them. They, they have can, the players have continued to play hard. Um, you know, last year they were one and five, got themselves back to six and six. I didn't think that was possible. Now they did finish seven and nine, missed the playoffs. Could have, could have made the playoffs with one more, you know, fairly reasonably attainable win, right? If they would have beaten Chicago last year, they would have been an eight and eight, six seed, right. Or seven seed last yep. year. Um, you know, this year, you know, they, they've crawled back from two games under 500 three different times now to get back to 500. And then we'll see if they can get over that hurdle. Like for, for all of the kind of, you know, uh, off the record sourcing that you hear and in different stories about how players, you know, gripe about Zimmer and him being a tough coach, it does seem like they still continue to play hard for him. And I wonder how much of that will resonate in an, in a, in a decision down the road here. 
Yeah, it's it's no secret that that Mike Zimmer wears thin on guys. Um, I, I find it interesting that toward the end, if this is the end of his tenure, I find it interesting that in the last basically year and a half, Ben, we've seen him up close kind of try to take a softer approach, try to yep. Yep. take a softer approach, listen to guys like Anthony Barr, locker room leaders, maybe on the defensive side of the ball, who want to speak up about, hey, let's not be hitting so much uh, in early August, or let's take some time or things off in OTAs or whatever. Let's not have so many padded practices in December or November. Um, you have seen him try to soften that, but then I find it interesting that Zimmer juxtaposes it by saying Monday night, uh, I was pretty hard on these guys uh, after that Steelers win going into this game. And he was proud of how they responded. I just, it, it's no secret to anybody that he does wear thin on guys. He really wears thin on guys. And he's got a certain kind of mentality and approach that it doesn't matter if it's December and it's winning mode or it's April and you're preparing for OTAs. It's like, I mean, Ben, we've heard from players about you can, you can wear guys out in the off season just with how yeah. much he gets on mistakes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We, we've heard it, I think after 2018, I think from what we've heard, they come back, players come back for the OTAs and they're basically greeted to a, a, I think a film review, right. Of, kind of summarizing here's all the mistakes we made last year here's the reasons we didn't make the playoffs and this is what we're going to fix this year and uh, yes there's I think a time for that but you open with a essentially a corrections period on a Monday with you know it's like a Monday corrections period but off the entire season um, that's probably going to hit some guys the wrong way it's, it's hard to say universally to kind of make these statements about has, has the team responded the right way? Because different players are going to respond differently, number one. And number two, we're not in those meetings. We're not right now in the locker room to be able to talk to players in the way that we'd like to be able to do to get a full sense of this. So you, you do your best to try to figure out what's going on, but you also understand that it's not going to be a universal response to one coach as if the team thought with one mind. So – you try to figure all that into it, but yeah, it's, I think it's just common sense tells you it's an approach that um, some guys are going to like, and some guys probably aren't. To, to me, the big picture of all this too, if we can just kind of circle back to the Zimmer and Spielman stuff, I mean, it, it all is going to kind of come down to what the Wilfs appetite is for potentially making a really bad decision. Like I, I think, I think yeah. they, you could run it back with Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman, extend Kirk Cousins and you would know you're never going to exactly bottom out, right? You're not right. going to be yeah. a four and 13 team probably with, with these guys in charge and with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback, you can probably stay pretty comfortably in that seven to 10, 11 win range. Um, are you satisfied with that? Is it ever going to get better than that? Are you comfortable making a decision on a GM a coach and probably a quarterback, because I would imagine that would accompany a change too, where you might go four and 13, or you could in two years go 13 and four. It's just kind of one of those questions like, what are they comfortable with? Are they comfortable with the idea of being really bad if they make bad decisions in this, if they do go ahead and change? That's a great question. It is because they pride themselves on this relevancy. And as, as Mark Wilf, I believe, described it about a year ago, year and a half ago, pretty much knocking on the door, right? Always, they always want to be knocking on the door to a championship. And that knock feels like that sound, how loud it is, feels like it's getting quieter and quieter as these seasons march forward away from that 2019 season. Um, well, I have plenty more on that, surely, as we march forward with these podcasts. Let's get real quick on, on that point i guess and, and maybe we've got more questions along these lines in the mailbag but you talk about knocking on the door and how it's getting a little more faint I, they have i mean whoever's making the decisions after this year they have a lot to figure out because you have all these free agents that signed to one-year deals you have a roster that is getting older uh, i mean guys like eric kendricks turned 30 and i think eric kendricks was I remember he's, he's a leap day baby because I remember we talked about this with him uh, during his draft call. He was born in 19, February 29, 1992, because I remember somebody asked him, I, I hear you're like five years old. Um, so 1992 to 2022, he'll be 30. Uh, you have guys that have been stalwarts on this defense that are pushing that 
age range. So, and you look at the young talent on the roster, it's Justin Jefferson. And what else do you like? I mean, you know, there's guys that could still hit, but there's not a lot of proven commodity. So they have a lot of decisions to make in a lot of places where they need to find difference makers. And whether it's Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer or somebody else, there's a ways to go, I think, to get this roster to the point where you look at it and say, there's difference maker type players at every position. All right, let's get to the mailbag. We've got a lot of good questions. You can always send them to us on Twitter. You can find our Twitter handles at startribune.com or you can email them to us where our emails are also all over there. I got one from Tim. He emailed, he wants to know, both the Vikings and the Patriots overhauled their defenses this past offseason. The Patriots have had great success. The Vikings, not so much. Is this because of coaching, injuries, or just getting better free agents? Um, I thought this was interesting because they did, right? And, and part of it was um, New England had a lot of guys opt out coming back this year, so it wasn't totally remade. Some of them were coming back to where they were used to being. Um, but they move on from Stephon Gilmore and haven't seemed to really miss a beat. Um, they sign guys like Matthew Judon, and, and he's been one of their top pass rushers. They draft Kyle Duggar in the second round. He's been a great safety for them. J.C. Jackson, a corner, was an undrafted free agent in 2018. He's been one of their better corners. Um, they've kind of kept up that defensive pipeline under Bill Belichick while bringing back a Kyle Van Noy, while bringing back Donta Hightower and having some of that experience with the guys that they're drafting. But um, I don't think they signed as many free agents as the Vikings, but there is something to the question of why could they turn it around in one year so quickly where the Vikings try to patch that together and just don't have the same success. And Ben, to me, it comes down to that pipeline we often talk about where, hey, where's the next Eric Wilson? Where's the next Anthony Harris? Where's the next guy that kind of comes up and develops in a way that you've seen previously under this regime? And it seems like those things have dried up right now. Yeah, they haven't hit on a lot of those guys. I mean, DJ Wanham maybe can do that. I, you know, I think some of those sacks on Monday night are you get them from Justin Fields scrambling around holding the ball and their hustle plays. And he's certainly shown he can make those. That was the one he had on Aaron Rodgers last year, too, where it's out of the pocket, chase him down type sack. But yeah, there there's not a lot on the roster where you say there's a guy that's on his way up. Um and could turn into a, a standout player. I mean, Cameron Dantzler shows you flashes of it, but KJ Osborne, I think you could, you could make a case for that, but I don't know. I, I can I think Kene Wangu certainly is a guy that could turn into a, a special player. Does he become a guy that gets the ball 25 times a game? I don't know. So yeah, there, there's not a lot there. And certainly on the defensive side of the ball, a lot of these fourth round picks they haven't hit on and that from what I've heard, I think we've talked about it has been a frustration for Mike Zimmer is get me guys that make a difference. I don't need every seventh round pick in the world. I need guys that can come in here and contribute right now. Jalen Phillips, one of the passwords that they didn't get after trading back for Darisaw has eight sacks for the dolphins and a guy like that right now, especially when you don't have Daniel Hunter or Everson Griffin probably makes a difference. And, yeah, I, I think not having some of those kind of blue chip type players has hurt them. Yeah, Mike, defensively, as, as that question focused on, too, with some of these guys, is it just coming down to uh, the question was, is it just bad free agents, injuries, coaching? I would say a little bit of all three, although I think Michael Pierce is a great signing when he's healthy and available. I think Dalvin Tomlinson is as well. The defensive line free agents seem to have worked out. It's more so that secondary. Um, maybe Xavier Woods has, but outside of that, really, it's been not too... I guess Patrick Peterson, too, kind of. kind of. Yeah, I think Peterson's had a good year. I think Woods was better at the start of the year. He's had some bad games since then. But, you know, I think it, a lot of it comes down to just, you know, you're always going to be hit or miss in free agency. And I think they did okay, like you said, with some of these guys and not so great with the others. I think where they're just... Where they're really still hurting is, you know two of the last four seasons, they spent a first round draft pick on a cornerback that is no longer on the roster even, and barely even contributed. And just that sort of, you know, talent vacuum just eventually shows up and leads to signings like Bashad Breeland that, you know, 
don't work out. And they, you know, honestly, the secondary probably had one of its better games of the year last year when Bashad, when Bashad Breeland was finally gone. I don't know if it was addition by subtraction, if it was Justin Fields and the Bears just, you know, gifting them a lot of things. But um, big picture, there's just there's a talent deficit there. And I think it's beyond just free agency. All right, you guys got got any questions queued up? Um, uh, I, got, I got. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Uh, I got one from Jeff, who uh, tends to email in uh, some. Uh, he says, "So when Cousins is under such heavy pressure, what plays should the Vikings be running?" Then he also asks, "I would bring Sheldon Richardson back next year." Your thoughts? I like both those things. Um, I guess schematically, it just it feels like it feels like Cousins has a lot of success when he's you know, moving around a little bit more. I don't know how much that necessarily helps or if it kind of gets him off schedule sometimes. And sometimes when you're rolling out, you're limiting your playbook a little bit because unless you can buy enough time, you're probably not throwing back to that other side of the field, although they have had some success with the kind of roll right, throw left plays that take a while to develop. But I mean, you know, short of those kind of bubble screens and getting the ball out quickly, which I think they can do, but I don't feel like they do them particularly well. And, you know, some of the screen game stuff, you know, where you get the over pursuit and then, you know, try to try to hit a big play with, with their more mobile lineman. I would probably trend towards, you know, getting cousins out of the pocket, just get him as far away from Aaron Donald as possible and see if you can get a receiver open in that amount of time. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting um, that when you rewatch that, that Monday night game, um, the bears linebackers were just phenomenal. I didn't think Alec Ogletree, the, guy who basically replaced Danny Trevathan in that defense. I didn't think he was much of anything going into it. And he, he played lights out. And Mike Zimmer said today, I think that when you're playing a, a heavy man to man defense like that, the screen game, you typically don't want to call a lot of them. They don't work very well. And they didn't, <laughs> they didn't on Monday night. So I wonder if the Rams being more of, as Ben's talked about a lot with this, this um, defense that they typically run, at least under Brandon Staley was a lot of zones, kind of deeper shell coverage backed up a little bit, maybe okay with giving you. Yeah. Maybe with okay with giving you that underneath stuff a little bit that might help open things up maybe in some of the screen game stuff um, for Dalvin cook. Cause that typically is the pressure counter. One of them, right. Is just to, all right, let's, let's fake, um, you know, fake a quick um, pass or, or get, get the ball out quick to the running back in the flat. Um, with the offensive linemen letting defenders go. But that just didn't work in Chicago. The linebackers were way too good. And there was even some stuff where they tried to do these play-action leak concepts where they'd send Jefferson across the line, send him out into the flat, and the linebacker just chased him down and tackled him for four yards. And it's like they tried to get to some of their pressure beaters, and they just the those Bears linebackers were phenomenal. Um, and I think that was a big part of it. And so I wonder if the Rams um, just – I think the Rams have a better defensive line I don't think they have as good of linebackers. And so yeah. I do wonder if that's going to help them kind of try to counter that pass rush a little bit more by doing those intermediate things, dumping the ball off to cook over the middle, um, that kind of stuff. I think that might help. And then Sheldon Richardson. Yeah. I, I think he's been great for them. Moving out to defensive end has been um, one of the reasons why they can still generate pressure and stop the run despite being down both their starting defensive ends. I don't know what you think, Ben, but he's, he's been pretty phenomenal. I yeah, I mean, the fact that they lead the NFL in sacks still, despite the fact they're missing their best two pass rushers, or at least their best few, two pure pass rushers, I think is a credit to the way they've been able to generate pressure to Mike Zimmer with the blitzes. I think it's a credit to Andre Patterson to being able to find guys that you can put in those spots. We talked about some of these guys haven't hit, and they certainly have had mid-round picks on the defensive line that have not hit. Jalen Holmes, Jaleel Johnson – you know, you, you look at, I mean, even back to like Scott Crichton, who was a third round pick that we saw nothing from in their first draft. They've had guys that have not clicked, but Armand Watts has, I think five sacks. They have gotten pressure and gotten production out of defensive tackles that were brought in here to be run stoppers. Michael Pierce, Dalvin Tomlinson have shown some pass rush. Sheldon Richardson moving has been effective. So yeah, I would, I'd keep him. I think a lot of the things they've done, especially with veterans on the defensive line, the hit rate on those has been very good. Uh, whether it's Tomlinson, Pierce, when he's healthy, um, Sheldon Richardson, 
Um, Everson Griffin, bringing him back when he's been on the field, was a success. Weatherly didn't really work out. But, yeah, I I think overall I'd, I'd probably bring Sheldon back. I think there's a role for him. I think there's um, a, a skill set that he can bring to the table that they can use. Sebastian Thunderbucket, Tom Johnson, another one. Yes. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect example. That's a guy that came in, had a specific role, played it very well, and probably was here a lot longer than you'd expect because he fit that role so well. So especially if this group is back, if Patterson's back, yeah, I think it makes sense to bring Richardson. Yeah, it's that corner pipeline, I suppose, that's really dried up. Uh, maybe a little bit of yep. linebacker, too. Um, I can... Probably is also dried up. I mean, they, yeah. they haven't gotten any of those young picks to really hit. Patrick Jones was still nobody either. Maybe uh, one. We'll see. We should mention Cam Bynum, too, is, is, was a revelation, at least, last month, and somebody that looks like he could have a, a strong NFL career if he keeps that up. Um, so maybe they've got an answer past Xavier Woods next to Harrison Smith at safety. But corner, boy, just really, you know, they just need one more, but right now it feels like they need three more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you need one more and then you decide you're going to cut one, um, <laughs> it tells you what that corner had done to, to get somebody to say, um, now nah, we're good. Or, yeah, and how much they'd already put up with at that point. Yes. Probably. They, yes. Knowing um, that. We always talk about this. If if you're talented in the NFL, you the teams will put up with more. So it either means you weren't that good, which we'd seen on the field, or you had gotten to the point where was, we just don't want to put up with this anymore. So yeah, it, it speaks to the level to which Bashaw Breland had kind of crossed the point in overturn. I got one from Neil. He's got a good offbeat question. He wants to know this if this all goes pear-shaped, what would be the most ah, phrase? It is. I love it. <clears throat> what would be the most fitting end to this regime? Surely it would be Kirk missing a final game due to COVID. Yeah, that feels like it, right? I mean, I've, we've talked about this. It's just like the they got to be knocking on wood right now because of COVID just ripping through the NFL. I saw a stat. It was an ESPN. I think our old friend Kevin Seifert uh, had a good kind of explainer on where the league is at with COVID. And apologies if you guys have written some of the same stuff. I just happened to be glancing at the site and saw this. But basically, I think it was that more tape, more players tested positive last week than in the, the entire first 14 weeks combined. Yeah. Uh, like so, that. you know, I mean, Kirk did land on that list earlier this in camp because of the, you know, the close contact. But that's, that's a different story. Um, yeah, I mean winning one of these next two and then having to beat the bears to get into the playoffs and then losing it because of something like that would be a very fitting uh, way for this year to end. Yes. I mean, uh, in general, whether it's that or something else must win games against the bears at home that they lose has been a consistent theme with this regime. And yeah, if, if they somehow get beat by that team, in a game they have to have, uh, that would be the that'd be the one. It, it would not surprise me at all if they win one of these next two and go into that finale eight and eight with the chance to make it. With Akeem Hicks coming to town, being like, "Nah, uh, um, so I, this is a good segue to the question Mike Zimmer was asked about what happens if you lost your two starting quarterbacks or top two quarterbacks, like Washington did, like Cleveland did, um, and Mike Zimmer was oddly confident, and I think this had to do with. Uh, Mike Zimmer, knowing that Sean Mannion is vaccinated and therefore couldn't be ruled out due to close contact. However, in, he was presented with this hypothetical and asked, like, would you start Kellen Mond or what would you do? And um, Cousins said, well, we wouldn't be in that situation. Sean will make it. Zimmer said we wouldn't be in that situation. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, yes, Zimmer said we won't be in that situation. Sean will make it. And the reporter, our Mark Craig, said, well, no, what if you were down both of them? And Zimmer just said, no, Sean will make it. It was just oddly confident. And then I followed up later with, well, are you isolating Sean? Like, are you doing anything different with him in the facility? And Zimmer just said, well, no, we isolated him before when we had an outbreak, but we're not doing that now. So I don't know how you can be so confident that you could not lose both of them, because again, we know this, that vaccinations are not a silver bullet against positive cases or transmission, obviously. So we can't know this. Nobody could know this. The Vikings could have a situation where Kellen Mond is their starting quarterback 
but Michael Rand, Mike Zimmer was not willing to even entertain that notion. That's interesting. Um, yeah, it would be, uh, it'd be quite a, uh, it just, you don't want it to come to that. It's, it's just one of these doomsday prophecies. You want everybody, you know, you'd like these decisions to come down to having your best players on the field. That's just not how the league is working right now. There's been so many, I mean, there's been enough positive cases that the NFL has basically just said, eh, just tell us if you're sick. And then maybe you, then maybe you'll go on the COVID list. Now they had to change their rules to make sure the season's going to get finished. Um, so yeah, we'll, uh, We'll see, but you know, assuming Kirk Cousins hasn't had a change in heart, um, he's still not vaccinated, and that puts him at an even greater risk right now with everything we're seeing going on right now. Yeah, Ben, what did you make of Zimmer's comments? To me, I I, I interpret it. I didn't clarify with Zimmer, but I interpret it as him just thinking that if there were an outbreak, Mannion would have to test positive because it wouldn't be a situation where they lose him due to a close contact. Yeah, I think that's probably it. I don't know what other recourse you'd have, at least not one that I think is a realistic one. Um, yeah, I, I think that had to be the scenario, or maybe he just didn't even want to let his mind go there or entertain the, the possibility of it. I, I think may have been part of it. But yeah, I mean, the reality is they could be in that spot where you have to decide, are we better off with Kellen Mond or going to get somebody off the street. I don't even know who you'd go get. Um, just trying to think of quarterbacks who have been here. Uh, well, can I still play? <laughs> well, that's, that's the one. Um, no, I was, I was laughing because I was thinking of Kyle Slaughter, which oh boy. There you go. would not happen. <laughs> no, I think the, the other one is, uh, is more of a possibility because, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm not walking boy. <laughs> he's like 51 years old now 52 uh yeah he was born in 1969 so no. yeah. nice no matter how old i am still play. <laughs> probably could use the money yeah i think i think zimmer probably. might zimmer might start him over kellen mon yeah if they went out and got somebody and started them over kellen mon that would be a real referendum on that too because yeah. he's yeah. just but, Again, this guy's a rookie. He's a third round pick. You've seen teams like throw their seventh round picks out there. And, and he's been in the building all year. Yeah, and he's been in the building all year. Davis Mills just threw for 300 yards in back to back weeks, and he was taken with the pick after, I believe, Kellen Mond was taken. So, yes. yeah, you, you can do it. It was just, you know, your first start is going to be pretty rough no matter who you are, I'm sure. Um, all right, we got a question from. Uh, ben wants to know, not, not our Ben, different Ben, wants to know if the Vikings are thin at defensive end. Why don't they play Anthony Barr on the edge? I think that's interesting, but I feel like, Ben, we already know the answer to that. I, they wouldn't play him there because he doesn't rush the passer very well. He's, he's never developed a, a counter move to beat a tackle. Uh, they, they've tried this. They've tried putting him at um, to take reps with the pass rushers, I think, during training camp at one point. It just hasn't worked. I mean, his sacks have come when he's blitzing and – gets the free run because it's just reading the center and then bringing pressure when the center turns away from you. So he hasn't had to do a lot to develop pass rushing moves to beat tackles. And I, I don't think at this point that you'd see him do that very well. No, no, I do not. And yeah, the, the summers of him working with the defensive line, working on the pass rushing moves, all that stuff, it just never really developed into a ton of production. We do see him able, he's able to like, run over running backs, fullbacks. Yeah. Like he, his whole thing is he's just physically bigger um, than the extra protectors that you would line up on him. Doesn't um, hold or, up against a tackle. Or a tight end. But yeah, if you put him up against a left tackle, I, I just, I don't think we've ever really seen that turn into much production um, for the Vikings. Those are the matchups that I think offenses want to get bar into. Um, we got one more question here from Eric wants to know, what do you guys think of the Vikings trading Mike Zimmer? He said that way they don't necessarily have to fire him. Teams like the Jags could really use a stabilizing figure at head coach. What do you guys think? Um, Zim for the first overall pick. <laughs> there you go. I mean, if you get that deal. Mike, what do you, what do you think? Urban Meyer out, Mike Zimmer in? Uh, I mean, it's a, nice, it's a nice thought because if you do decide you are ready to move, move on from Zimmer, it, getting some sort of compensation for it, I suppose, would be um, a pretty good thing. And then I imagine you wouldn't be 
on the hook for any of his additional salary at that point either because he's got a contract beyond this year, right? He's got at least yep. another year two on more. his deal, two more. So, yep. I mean, it's, it's a nice it's a nice idea. I just I don't know if someone of it doesn't seem like that happens with someone like Zimmer who might get fired anyway. I feel like that happens when there's kind of a dispute with the coaching or something like that happens and it's just an, an untenable situation. So I, I can't see that happening, but it's a nice thought. It'd be a good try if they could pull it off. Yeah, I think, Ben, we've only seen trades for head coaches in the NFL when it is a situation where it's thought of as an entrenched coach whom you have to pry out of an organization, yeah. a la John Gruden after a Super Bowl win. or, or Right? Is that how the timing worked out yeah. for Tampa Bay? Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, before a Super Bowl win. But, yeah, it was they fired Tony Dungy and then won the Super Bowl the next year with Gruden. That's right. That's right. So I, I just don't see how if you're an organization, you're not thinking if you want Zimmer that badly, you're not thinking, well, you're just going to release them anyway. It's like, it's like shopping. I don't want to compare these two. It's different situations, but if you're like going to cut Laquan Treadwell, before, you know, after a preseason yeah. game and you're showcasing him, you're a team that's saying, why would I give you a seventh round pick when I can sign him off the street tomorrow uh, with Mike Zimmer? It might be a similar situation where if this team doesn't make the playoffs, if they're in back-to-back losing or, under 500 seasons or less, not, not above 500, I should say not winning seasons. Um, why would you give up anything for a guy that might be looking for a job um, soon? So I just, I don't know. And that seems weird for a guy who's 67. Is that how, or 65? How old is Mike Zimmer? Uh, he is 65. Yes. He'll be 66 in June, I believe. Yeah. That's not the kind of guy that you're going to build a, a franchise around. Uh, I think if you're Jacksonville, so it, it doesn't make sense because of the stock Mike Zimmer is currently working with, I think in the NFL probably. And um, the fact that the Vikings might just make him available anyway. Um, so I, I don't know. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, you'd get a job. I have no doubt. I'd get a job. Oh, yeah. 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 Code right away. But I, there, I have no doubt that either as a coordinator or, some kind of a consultant that he'd have. And he said this, I think that he would have people interested if this ever came up and I, I don't have any doubt somebody would hire him pretty quickly. Yeah. He would probably have his pick of the litter as far as defensive consultant or coordinator or whatever kind of job he wanted to do on defense, not necessarily running all three phases for an organization. Uh, we got any more questions, Mike or Ben, or should we wrap it up? I mean, there was one I was curious, kind of curious about, but otherwise we can wrap it up. It was just a question of, uh, someone looking future forward. Maybe we've answered this on an earlier podcast too, but basically it was just asking um, if, if not cousins next year, who would be, who would be the quarterback? And, you know, we kind of touched on this, like doesn't seem like they have a lot of faith that Kellen Mond would be the guy. It could be a first round pick. If they decide to go that route, it could be, you know, a, a veteran. I would, I would think that if they moved on from cousins, they've got enough offensive talent that they would want, someone who can throw the ball and get, you know, get the ball to Thielen and Jefferson and, you know, not have a, a year where they're just experimenting at that position. But that's, that's just my, my thought on that. Yeah, Ben, it, it does seem weird that this offense is, is made right now from the skill positions to win right now. It um, is. So how do you justify, or how do you, um, how do you kind of weigh that against a possible change at quarterback? I think if Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman stay, this is not a question. I think Kirk Cousins yes. is the quarterback if those guys stay, if they don't, or if one of them doesn't, then you have a decision to make. And I, I think if, if Mike Zimmer stays, Kirk Cousins is the quarterback. If Rick Spielman stays, Kirk Cousins probably, yeah, I'd say probably still the quarterback. If, if everybody gets cleaned out, somebody has a decision to make of we could try to win this win right now with Cousins. If we think we can build around him better than the previous regime did, I think, I don't know how much you're going to be able to do in a year given their cap situation, but maybe somebody would think that if you make a trade, the problem you have, I think is this is not seen as a great quarterback draft. Maybe you go find the stopgap guy for a year. Um, but yeah, like Andrew, you said, it's this group's built to win right now. You have a running back who is not going to be at his peak for another five years. You know, you're probably talking about another year or two. Adam Thielen will be 32 next summer. And while Justin Jefferson is young, I don't think you want to go through too much of a stretch where you're trying his patience. He's already heading into year three. You're not that far from having to talk about a contract. And 
I don't think you want to be in a spot where you're banking on him loving it so much here that he's going to ride through anything that comes up. So, I mean, that, that's one of the big questions I think you have to answer this offseason is what does Justin Jefferson want and how do we make that work? How do we keep him happy? How do we? I think you have to be thinking about that. How do we prevent Odell Beckham from wearing a free Justin Jefferson shirt? <laughs> how do we prevent another Stefan Diggs situation? Yep. Yeah. Both of these are valid. I, yeah. I think that has to be one of the questions they're asking themselves. Yeah. Jefferson has said all the right things publicly and from what we can tell behind the scenes, but it's two years in. And this is a guy who is, uh, he wore, he wore the free OBJ shirt. He, uh, there's, there's a certain pillar that uh, you might believe in if you're a just super talented uh, all-pro wide receiver like he's surely going to be at some point, Justin Jefferson is. So if you're not feeling like you're maximizing your talents here, we've seen this movie before. He also um, has enough friends in the league and has enough of a network from people at LSU, because we've heard him talk about it a lot, that he 100% is connected with enough people to kind of see how it is in other places. And they, I have no doubt that he's in contact with enough veterans in, in part because his brothers went through this and his brothers have connections that he's known for a long time. I think that the level to which he's connected with other players in this league and has been connected with other players in this league for a long time means he's not coming in as a wide-eyed rookie that thinks everything that the team that drafted me tells me is gospel. I don't think he's looking at it like that. So um, not saying that I know anything about him being unhappy. I just think he is a lot more worldly and a lot more savvy about this stuff, just understanding how it all works than a lot of guys in his situation would be, given how much exposure he had to the league even before he got anywhere near it. Yeah, we know Justin's uh, off-season workout group down in Miami, at least at one point, included uh, Stefan Diggs, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, a lot of guys who have changed teams over the years and a lot of guys who have done it in certain ways. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. It is a good that's happy a, note. That More on that a, later. That is a great point though, that Ben brought up as far as the quarterback situation and in, in terms of making, making sure your number one guy in that offense, which in a passing league is Justin Jefferson uh, is happy. So we'll have to see, and it'll be a fun game on Sunday. We will be there at us bank stadium, breaking it all down for you after the game. Please find our podcast and all of our work at startribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast.